RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 15, Gene Roddenberry's Favorite Episodes, Early 1970s. This episode of The Trek Files is sponsored by the official Star Trek Starships XL Editions, large format ships officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and get the USS Voyager for 20% off and with free shipping. For details, visit st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome once again, Star Trek background fans, historians, and yes, Trekophiles with an F. We've got a great, fun show today, very simple in, in pretext with the document that we have today. And again, you can find it at uh, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Every week our document's there for you to follow along. A very simple one this week. At some point in that early 70s time, again, a post-original series, before any movies and before any spin-off series, the occasion came up for somebody asking Gene Roddenberry what his favorite episodes from the original series were. <laughs> the only series, the only Star Trek at the time. And... Um, we found this memo in the files, and it's it's pretty simple, and it's also very revealing. And to talk about it, I have a very special first-time guest for the show today, so stay with us. Charlie X, where no man has gone before, The Enemy Within, The Menagerie, Part 1, The Menagerie, Part 2, Return of the Archons, The Devil in the Dark, City on the Edge of Forever, Amok Time, Who Mourns for Adonais, A Private Little War, Assignment Earth. Star Trek fans, you asked for bigger ships, and now you've got bigger ships. The official Star Trek Starships XL editions from Eagle Moss are twice as large as the standard models. Officially authorized by CBS Studios, each iconic ship is die-cast and hand-painted, and each comes with an in-depth magazine featuring production artwork, highlights of the ship's history, design, and a breakdown of the technology on board, along with crew and weapons. Start your collection today with the 10-inch XL Edition USS Voyager for only $59.95 with free shipping. New models ship every other month for the same low price with free shipping, and you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details and to order, visit st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. Go big with the official Star Trek Starships XL editions at st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. Yeah, simple question. Gene, what were your favorite original series Star Trek episodes? Or again, in the day, Gene, what are your favorite Star Trek episodes? Uh, fun little question. And here, welcome to the show for the first time to talk about it with me, is the Oscar-winning, multiple Emmy-winning, Peabody-winning, after-winning. Damn it, we'll take the whole 15 minutes if I go through this man's resume. Doug Drexler, the I one, the only. can't even believe I'm here. 
I'm finally here. Yes, you are. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you and are. And boy, you have some really great toys here. I thought I had great <laughs> toys. But it really... Fa- and what's really amazing is that you're only like a half a mile from my house. I could have walked here. We could. Well, we'll fix that up next time. I'll walk next time. <laughs> but how about this? This is a simple little... Uh, isn't this funny? What, this list? This list, yeah. That list... I find the list mind-boggling to even be looking at this. Uh, but... Th- th- the thing is that if I had seen this list back in the 70s, it would have hit me one way. But now right. I feel like I'm on – well, it was just that uh, back then I hadn't gotten into the business yet. And I was just – my resume just said fan at that point. Yeah. You and, know? you know, I was—I kind of cheated you. Let's say we all know Doug from his visual effects work, from his art and graphics work on all the modern Star Treks, and his years of makeup, or first of all, on The Next Generation – after his Oscar uh, for Dick Tracy. So a great, great career. But in the 70s, you were a fan working at Federation Trading Post. Well, I mean, I was a fan in New York w- when the show was first run. And I wrote fan letters when the show was right. first run. And uh, I was a big science fiction fan, period. I read tons of science fiction. But, yeah, I mean, I really I was very active as a fan. And I was involved with the Save Star Trek, B. Joe Trimble uh, uh, <laughs> it was a war with the network. I, I, that whole thing. Now, that, that's a real interesting thing to talk about as well, if you ever have time. Because involvement with saving Star Trek and getting yeah. articles and newspapers and writing letters and making all your friends write letters. And we're talking paper and stamps. Paper and stamps and typewriter ribbons and typewriter. I mean, yeah. I wrote hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of letters to NBC. Um, I, and what was really fascinating about that was I think that for me it was kind of an epiphany to show that I was just a kid who could actually have some impact on the world. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been involved from day one. And, and uh, speaking, the Federation Trading Post, which was, I guess, 1965 or something like, 1975, yeah. 1976, there was a guy in there. They were painting the walls, and they were. And it was like at fifty third and third. I mean, talk about prime real estate. I have no idea how they got this place. And I went in. It was a uh, Chuck Weiss who had the, the Federation Trading Post in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. They somehow decided to do one in New York, and I went up there and met him. And of course, there's this shared kind of childhood thing that you have with anyone who's a big Star Trek fan, or just a shared experience where you can sit down with people you've never met before. And all of a sudden, it's like, I've known this guy for right. years. You've got the common language, the common experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Chuck Weiss and I hit it off immediately. And uh, he said, do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I ended up. I mean, I really co-managed the place with a guy named Ron Barlow. I almost felt like I was working on Star Trek because we did magazine. We did the poster book out of the Federation. Medical Trading reference. Post. The medical reference. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the context that we're at here. And we look at this list of very simple. Oh, oh that's what we were talking oh, about. <laughs> Never feared. Oh, well, let me pick it up. Not to dominate this oh, whole okay. thing here, but when I, if I first saw this back when I was at the Federation yeah, Trading Post, I would have seen it through a fan's eyes. Mm-hmm. But after it being in the business now for like 37 years, I can't believe I'm even saying this, almost 37 years, which I owe to we Star can, Trek, really. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Add a few years to it. It's okay. Um, it. After having lived through literally hundreds of Star Trek episodes, 
through every right. Deep Space Nine episode, through every Enterprise episode, through uh, Voyager episodes, through you know, um, it's uh, aside from even doing Star Trek episodes, I worked in movies and other, right. other television shows. And when you little thing called Battlestar Galactica, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. The, the thing is that when you live through a show, when you live through an episode, when you live through it page by page, and you wage war with people who don't like your idea. You know, it's a collaborative thing, and we all know that. But the thing is, there are certain um, emotional uh, things that you have about particular episodes. They may have been a hell episode for you, and some of them it may have been a hell episode, and you and you know they you almost died doing it, and you don't want to think about it. And then there's others where you worked your ass off, and you had a wonderful time. But only you and five people know that, or you and twenty people know that. Well, and a general guy out there, a girl out the street, they have they know the final result. Yes, and they don't have all that back, and they shouldn't. But that's no, yeah. So I look at it, and I and I see some of Gene's choices, and I agree with some of them, and then there's others where he completely skipped over that I think are milestones in television science fiction that he just went right over. Well, the, the thing that struck me right off is that, in, in that same vein, he's in the trenches battling in the beginning. You don't know what he went through on these episodes. Right, but, I mean, it's a tail-off. In other words, almost all of his favorites that he marks here are first season. He's only got three from the second season, or four, and then none <laughs> from, from third season when he's hands off and Fred. Yeah, Fiber's well, right. I mean, it correlates with his. Ex- I, I'm right. sure that he worked really, really hard when start in the first year of Star Trek. It was exciting to to fight the battles, probably. Right. And then at a certain well, point, you're you setting get, the foundational touchstones and getting everything. In yeah, and that's and exciting. And then when the, the show starts to go into a kind of uh, rhythm where uh, you, you have methods and processes and. Um, it, it's not as exciting and may even get to wear you down a little bit. I'm sure that he was worn down. They At the time, nobody put the cage into any lists. It was it was the pilot that we didn't see. And, well, you saw most of it in the Menagerie, you know, part one and two. But people didn't routinely put the cage at the top of the list like they do now on a lot of lists. So he does have – it's like he's got his two pilots. He's marked out. He's got one – even though the Menagerie was the envelope, he's got his two pilots covered – Right, the cage in the menagerie, according to this list, and then we're no man, and then uh, Charlie X and Enemy Within, early, and Return of the Archons, I think, over the the message, Devil in the Dark, the message, yeah. and then Sydney on the Edge, even though he has, the, we were talking the Harlan nightmare, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such you a fascinating story about City. I mean, I'm a big Harlan Ellison fan, and I read a lot of Harlan Ellison growing up, you know, uh, and for me, the whole idea that Harlan was a big fan of the show during the first season and actually wrote letters in support of it and stuff. That, like, to me oh, was like, hung wow. out, and they had an informal office for him. And, yeah. Oh, well, the whole idea, I mean, that gave Star Trek such, you know, a, a wonderful clout and with me as a science fiction fan that Harlan Ellison thought it was. You know, but Harlan is also a very, uh, you know, uh, excitable boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what makes him the wonderful writer that he is. And Gene, I think, knew... What he was getting himself into, <laughs> brought in Arlen Ellison. Uh, what, what an amazing character! And just I, I, frankly, I mean, I've read both versions. I even right. read Harlan's they book. They both won on prizes. They, they both, both won prizes. I honestly, I have to say that as a Star Trek geek, I prefer the Gene Roddenberry version. I think it's it's Star Trek. It's it's more Star Trek. Right. And Harlan shouldn't be so. Uh, sensitive, but the, but you know it's not even sensitivity. I think a lot of it is ego. Where he says, "I'm Harlan Ellison," 
You didn't, yeah. can't rewrite me. Well, what do you think you, you had, are? And you had a lot of classic. He reached out. Gene reached out to a lot of classic sci-fi. Oh, Sturgeon, well, that blew and, me and away. Finrad and on down yeah. yeah. No, I mean, these were names that I knew, and I couldn't believe that they were writing episodes for it. So it, it blew me but, away. But they all wound up being, their names are on scripts, but they all wound up being variously rewritten because they, most of them had no experience writing TV, writing yeah, sure. regular characters of a sure. show that hadn't hadn't been on yet the or only had one, been on yet. There was only one person in the first season, especially early first season, especially who knew what Star Trek was, and that was Gene. Everybody yeah. else was just putting in and it thoughts. nearly killed him. And, and you know, uh, but you could sense the excitement. Well, Gene Coon. There was an, you know, Star Trek, the first season of Star Trek was a whole different kind of feel to it. It really felt like it was way, way out there on the edge of not knowing where anything was and mysterious. After the first season, <clears throat> and, and continuing, especially into, say, Next Generation, where they were yes, they were going to unknown places, but a lot of it was, uh, you know, covering the sea lanes, yeah, you know, and patrolling yeah. known, uh, you know, with uh, lots of races that they had, you know, you got more into, you know, interplanetary uh, uh, politics and things like that. Well, and then season the second season, Amok Time, Who Mourns for Adonais, and Private Little War. And then Assignment Earth, which was going to be his pilot for a new series. So he was very, you know, and he loved a lot yeah. of dancing. Well, I mean, I loved but, Assignment Earth. And I was also, I have a, a, a warm feelings about Assignment Earth because it was at the end of Assignment Earth, over the credits that NBC announced that stop writing letters. There will be a third season of Star Trek. I'll never forget that. And that made me feel powerful when I saw that because I was part of that writing, letter writing campaign or yeah. even like New York Newsday did an article about me when I was like 13 years old it was written by Harvey Aronson who was um, a writer for uh, Newsday who was like a nephew or something of uh, Isaac Asimov's uh, Gene does, hasn't selected one of my all time favorite shows which, which is? is Metamorphosis uh-huh. which is just an incredible incredible episode and uh, usually if I if I want to introduce someone to Star Trek, the original series, I'll show them City. I'll show them um, uh, uh, Metamorphosis, absolutely no doubt. And uh, there's such – Metamorphosis is such a moving episode. I mean, I knew that they were breaking ground when they did this show in uh, 1967, you know, because really, what's it about? It's about love between – Dissimilar. Dog and a cat, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I I appreciated that then. That was pretty subversively underground it for a really, kid absorbing that. Yeah, yeah, no, it really was. Well, I mean, they did it in Who Mourns for Adonais as well. They were saying that well, gods can just be aliens. You know, that was yeah. pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. I remember as a kid in like junior high school, uh, some girl who was very religious uh, took offense. Uh-huh. To that, I remember we had like a little debate about it in junior high school in 1967, you know. But the thing is, the, the other interesting thing for me is that, like uh, Dorothy, my wife, Dorothy, uh, a lot of the fans know her. Um, she was familiar with Star Trek when I first met her because she had brothers, uh, but she didn't really wasn't a doctor. She right. wasn't into it yet. And I sat her down and like gave her my Drexler's handpicked. You know, like six episodes. And by the time it was over, she was like, my God, these are amazing. I can't even believe. That's why these shows last. After all these years, you could watch Metamorphosis and be just as wowed. But when I first watched it, and there was that feeling that they were pushing the the envelope, outside of the envelope when they were doing the show, I knew it as a kid. I knew it when I saw Private Little War, that it was an Mm anti-Vietnam story. I knew it then. And it was like, it was so unusual to see that in a television show. 
Um, but the thing was, so there was metamorphosis, and I knew that part of it. But as I uh, got older, I would pass through, it's like a parfait. You know, you go through different <laughs> levels of the parfait, and you go, ooh, that gave me a certain, you know. As a matter of fact, I think there was a Star Trek treatment where they had a drink that they went through. And yes. with each level you went through, you had a different kind of emotional reaction. I remember... In a next-gen, yeah. Was it next-gen? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so a- as... As you get older, you become more sentimental. You become more nostalgic. Right, right. Um, and and, and uh, you appreciate uh, love more as you get older. You understand. You have a better idea what love is really about than you did when you were 13 or 14 or 15. You know, uh, back then, love was a copy of Playboy. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, and now I, I can watch Metamorphosis now. And I've watched it recently, and I almost come to tears during certain parts of it because I, f- I feel like I know where they're coming from and what it's all yeah. about. And I appreciate it for a whole nother – it's a whole nother level to that parfait. Uh, and I think that over the years, while I f- find that an amazing number of these shows hold up, amazing, um, that is one that really uh, goes right to my heart when I watch it. And Denise Okuda yeah. is the same way. About it, she she says it's her all time favorite episode. Well, like my two favorites, he doesn't have Mark, the Doomsday Machine, and Journey to Babel, and and it makes me look at and there's those are landmark shows, Doomsday Machine's drama, Journey to Babel, uh, foundational show with Spock's parents and the Federation shown and enduring, but it makes me go back and look at like so, I look at his favorites here. Obviously, he's got very little emotional attachment to the third season. Is it about um, you know the, the emotional attachment that you can't you can't separate from, as well as some of those yeah you know, inspirational foundational touchstones of what Star Trek is supposed to be about? That Return of the Archons, Devil in the Dark City, Who Mourns? You don't know um, what his life was Private like War. when a particular episode was being made. Whether he was having right. issues with the network at that time that really really upset him, you, you, you just have no idea. Especially. There's nothing harder. Well, I don't want to say there's nothing harder than working on a television show because there's plenty of things, I'm sure. But working on a TV show is really, really a lot harder than most people imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a nine to five job. It's your whole life, and uh, re- I know they did in a relentless clock. Oh well, I mean now. A television show maybe does like twelve episodes for a season, and they do it over a couple of years. I, I, you know, they were doing like twenty six shows or something, you know, every year, and the clock was ticking. And I know that on the original series, I don't think Bob Justman let them go much beyond seven o'clock in the evening. When I worked on Next Generation, we'd go till two a.m. You know, sometimes, you know, it's. It, it really super super yeah. difficult. Bill's character though, well, but can kill you too. Oh yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, when I was on Deep Space Nine, one of the gifts that they gave us at the end of the year was it was uh, dog tags. Mm-hmm. It said Deep Space Nine, and it had our name and stuff on it. You know, and it says next year it's war. It's when they were going to do the war arc. Right. And I showed that to Dorothy, and she says, "What's this for? In case you die on stage." <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of dying and speaking of clocks ticking, we have got to get out of this show, but we're going to have you back for several more episodes, Doug. Yay! Yay! This is, we're just scratching the surface here. Okay. Uh, There's nothing I like talking about more. I know. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. 
All documents are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at LarryNimbachek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network